This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. Very happy to have you here, my friend. On this episode, a review of Royal Caribbean's Voyager of the Seas. It was a 10-night cruise, and staff writer Richard Sims is... Here, getting us caught up on the week's cruise news. You can get caught up on the cruise news daily, just opposite of this channel at Cruise Radio News, or on the Cruise Radio YouTube channel, Monday through Friday, the top three things you need to know. All right, staff writer Richard Sims is on deck. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. So the CDC let the COVID-19 program for cruise ships expire, but have we seen any changes from the cruise lines as of yet? This is a story in which overnight... Everything changed and absolutely nothing changed at the same time. Here's what I mean by that. So the Centers for Disease Control essentially said, we're dropping our COVID program, which means the cruise lines will no longer be reporting their numbers to us and we'll no longer be tracking those numbers and reporting them to the public. And remember, all of this was part of a voluntary program to begin with. So the CDC also said, we're going to release new guidance soon, but As of when we are recording this, there's been no indication of what that guidance might be, which kind of puts the cruise lines in a little bit of limbo. I mean, they could change their various health and safety protocols only to be gobsmacked in one way or another by whatever these new guidelines happen to be when the CDC hands them out. So meanwhile, I was saying nothing has changed, and I mean that while a whole lot of cruisers got excited by this news, especially those who are unvaccinated or who hate the whole testing thing, but this news really hasn't changed anything if you're sailing out of the United States. For the moment, the major lines are still mostly requiring testing and vaccinations. We're starting to see some changes to this, like Princess saying that they'll allow up to 10% of unvaccinated guests per sailing. But largely, cruise lines are taking a wait-and-see approach, with one exception. Which happens to be our next story. One cruise line drops testing almost entirely. Right. This is the premium cruise line, Azamara. And they announced that starting on July 25th of this year, pre-cruise COVID-19 testing will no longer be required unless they happen to be going to a destination where it is required. So what that means is um, they still want all guests 12 and over will need to provide proof of vaccination. And that includes anyone who's eligible for a booster shot will need to have received the booster shot as well and be able to prove it. But you do not on Azamara as of the 25th have to provide, you know, to do the whole testing beforehand and then show them your proof of testing at the pier. So this is the first line. Now, of course, they are not currently sailing out of the United States, so they're sort of in their own ball game. But this, it might be an indication of where we see things moving over the next few months. Uh, you know, what's going to be interesting is how does the fact that you know, we're seeing an increase of cases in, in across the country, especially like, for example, several cruise lines have big presences in Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is a mess right now with COVID. So, you know, will will that play into what the cruise lines sailing out of that area decide to do? All of it is a little bit up in the air right now. And that's been the case 
really since the restart. You know, there have been, as things have progressed, whether it's with vaccines or with the ships coming up with health and safety protocols, it's been sort of a situation where everything can change at any moment. So the best thing you can possibly do if you have a cruise booked or if you're looking to book a cruise is make sure you understand, and we've said this over and over again, make sure you understand what the current protocols are, be you know, flexible enough that if they change, you're okay with that, and make sure that you're ready to cruise under whatever those circumstances might be. Royal Caribbean Group has purchased a former Crystal cruise ship, but also doing something quite big for honoring um, people who lost money. Yeah, this is the latest chapter of the Crystal Cruises saga. Now, if we were doing a TV show, this is where the previously on segment would come up and explain (laughs) that, you know, Crystal went bankrupt and the company's ships were for sale. And we now know that the ship formerly known as the Crystal Endeavor was was bought by Royal Caribbean Group for their own high-end division, which is Silver Seas. The ship is now going to be known as the Silver Endeavor. What's kind of cool here is there was a really fierce bidding war for this ship. And from what we've read and heard, Royal didn't necessarily have the highest bid. But there were other factors that played into it. You know, there were probably, you know, the proof of being able to pay and all that was probably involved. So they ended up walking away the winner. Robert Montanello, who is the CEO and president of Silver Sea, said there will probably be a few changes as they take over the ship. And those are kind of in keeping – the changes they're going to make are kind of in keeping with their brand. For example – Along with the ship, they also got, as a lovely, you know, sort of parting gift, they got two helicopters because the ship had two helicopters. Uh, And that's not really something that Silverseas does, so they're probably going to sell those helicopters. The ship also has a casino. Uh, That's not really something that Silversea does, so they will probably take that space and turn it into either more cabins or maybe, you know, some other form of public space. As far as what you were saying about what they're doing, um, obviously, Crystal went under very suddenly. And so there were a lot of people who had reservations and deposits with the company, and those could have just gone away. Those could have just been like, well, sorry, you know, the company went bankrupt. You lose that money. But Silversea is saying, no, we're going to honor that. You know, we will. So you will not lose that money. You know, contact us and they'll work it out. And, and I really think that's very, very cool of them. And it certainly will earn them some loyalty from those people who, you know, may have been questioning whether or not to continue to sail with this particular ship, given that, you know, they already had this problem with their trip being canceled (laughs) and the company going under. Yeah. Interesting development there, but also bigger Royal Caribbean group to let them, let them use that deposit on Royal Caribbean celebrity or silver sea. So they have definitely yeah, have options. Very there. cool. Yeah. Imagine if you had like a, you know, if you had like a $4,000 sailing booked on, on the, the silver sea ship, you know, that could, that could translate into like two or three different cruises on, yeah. on Royal Caribbean. So yeah. you could, you could definitely get your money's worth there. Yeah. Great for them. And a thousand days on one cruise line. I can't even imagine this. Robert and Nancy Houchins have been, you know, they've been cruising for decades. And when they were on the Carnival Pride most recently in Northern Europe, they were doing back-to-back sailings. And Robert basically went to the ship's team and said, you know, listen, just so you know, we've been 
doing this, you know, for a thousand days. Uh, can you guys do something for us? And so they threw together this really nice celebration. I'm actually kind of surprised that Robert had to go to them and say something because Carnival is certainly aware of these people. Um, when when Carnival Pride was brought back into service, Robert and Nancy were basically called up and like, you know, hey, do you want to take part in the opening ceremony? And they stood right there with Christine Duffy and cut the ribbon as the ship was brought back into service. So these are people that Carnival is definitely aware of. They did a really fun little Q&A with them to ask, you know, and, and they basically were like, yeah, we when we retired, we decided to sell everything and kind of sort of live on cruise ships. And so they, if they live a thousand more days, they said, we will spend another thousand days at sea. I, uh, I can only hope to someday get to that. I think I've got about, I don't know, a couple hundred, maybe you've got to be, you've got to have a a lot of days. What's the longest you realistically could do, but before you were like, okay, get me off this thing for a little while. That's a really good question. The longest I've done so far is a 10 day and I loved it. Um, you know, like, like when you got to day seven and you're like, Oh, I still have time left. My vacation's not over. I don't know how long I could do. I think it would depend on how long we were at sea uh, as opposed to like, you know, were you spending a couple days in port there, a couple days here? You know, you hear about ships like the world where people live on it year round. I don't think I could do that. As much as I love sailing and as much as I love cruising, it is because it is something special for me. I think mm-hmm. if I lived there or if I was on basically, you know, let's say nine, ten months of the year, it would no longer be the escape that it is. It would just be your life, you know. Yeah. Then what do you do? Say, okay, now I'm going to go to Disney World for a month to get away from cruising. Well, a lot of people did because last week Port Canaveral had a record cruise week. 107,000 cruise passengers went through the Port Canaveral terminal the week of July 8th to 14th. That is the most people that have ever gone through the terminal in the history of, well, as long as they've been keeping records, which started in like 1964, I believe. But interestingly, this wasn't just a fluke. This is the third time in 2022 that they have seen numbers over 100,000 K. So, you know, this doesn't just mean, um, you know, like 100,000 people went to the port to set sail or came back to the port. This also includes, you know, if maybe like when I say a lot of New York, I almost always stop in Port Canaveral. It includes people who were there for a couple hours or for the day, whatever. But still, 107,000 passengers in a week. So this goes to what we talk about a lot on the show right now, which is, you know, cruising is definitely back. (laughs) That's a whole lot of people going through there. And Disney Wish did their first revenue sailing with paying passengers last week. So, of course, they uh, contributed as well. Yeah, and there's going to be more coming up. You know, there Mm -hmm. are several ships that are going to be um, either home porting there or doing a little bit of time there. One of Norwegian's new ships is going to spend some time there this winter. I believe Royal, one of their big ships, is going to be spending some time there this winter. So there's no reason to think that, you know, they they may – probably break this 107,000 record in the not too distant future. Listener question comes from Julie. You can always email yours to Doug at cruiseradio.net. She says, I have a treatment booked in the spa. Does this mean I'll be able to use the thermal suite in the spa that day? She doesn't say what cruise line she's with. So we're going to answer this kind of a little bit generically and say, 
Typically, no. Typically, you know, when you book a um, appointment in the spa, maybe you're getting your face, getting your face done, getting a facial or uh, getting acupuncture or like I did on my last cruise, I did for the first time I went and got a hot stone massage. Those are completely separate. If you want to actually spend a day in the spa, you have to book either a package that, you know, you you can book like um, um, maybe a massage and a day in the thermal spa. You might be able to put together a package that that they will sell you at a reduced rate, or you have to buy a thermal spa pass for that day, which they're not always available. I find that most times that I've wanted to do the thermal spa, you can get a day pass. Um, You can also just get a week-long pass, which will be cheaper than a day pass. I mean, it'll be more expensive than a day pass on that day, but overall, um, it's much cheaper to buy it if you think you're going to use it during the week, do a week pass, and then you don't have to worry. But no, generally speaking, the treatments do not include access to the spa. I'm sure there are certain occasions when it does, and maybe, you know, some standings when it does but for the most part it's they're two separate things all right staff writer richard sims as always thanks my friend always glad to be here breaking news as it happens online and on demand at cruiseradio.net a big question we get at cruise radio is how do i know if i need trip insurance simple answer if you're getting on a plane taking a road trip or getting on a cruise ship you need to have travel insurance Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. You're listening to Cruise Radio, the trusted voice of the cruise industry. Jeremy just returned from a 10-night cruise aboard Royal Caribbean's Voyager of the Seas over in the Baltic. He's here to talk all about it. Jeremy, how you doing, my friend? Hey, Doug. Doing really well. Thanks for having me today. Yeah. Uh, had a great trip and looking forward to sharing about it. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about it, especially Voyager of the Seas. We haven't heard about that ship in a while. And your itinerary, as we were chatting before we went on the air, was supposed to be something a little bit different than it pivoted because of the whole Ukraine-Russia situation. But we'll get to that in just a few moments. So we're going to take a step back here, though. Give us some pre-cruise thoughts, like you're down in Orlando. And what made you want to take this 10-night cruise out of Copenhagen? Sure. So as you mentioned, living in Florida, we cruise a lot out of Port Canaveral and Fort Lauderdale. So we really wanted to try a new port on a ship we hadn't been on, um, some countries we had not been to in the past. So we, we love the Caribbean, but European adventures are a different style of vacation. And we really think you can kind of spend a lot of time getting lost in old world cities and cultures. So we had, like many, uh, had a 2021 Norwegian Fjords cruise canceled uh, during the pandemic. And so this was kind of our reschedule. And was just excited about the diversity of countries we were able to see on the cruise. Now, coming from Orlando, uh, what was the testing like? Like, did you actually test in the States or did you spend a couple of days before the cruise and actually have to test over there in Copenhagen before you boarded? 
So we went into Copenhagen in advance to kind of explore the city. Um, so we were not able to test here, but the Copenhagen airport has a wonderful testing service. It was about 28 US dollars, no appointment necessary. So as soon as we landed, we went and actually got tested in the airport um, and had our results within 30 minutes. So it was super convenient and easy. And we actually happened to be over there at the time when the U.S. changed their re-entry requirements. Um, so we actually, that was the only test we needed the whole trip um, because we did not need one to return to the U.S. And how was your pre-cruise experience in Copenhagen? I've traveled a good bit around Europe and Copenhagen's definitely a top five city I've ever been to there. Um, it's a very walkable city, safe, clean, um, and there's lots to do. We just really enjoyed seeing all the bikers and all the water views kind of being right on the canal and river there. Um, we also did a river tour that leaves out of the Niehaven area, which I'd highly recommend. We went to Christiania or Fr the Freetown area. And, and um, actually, I had a nice treat. We had friends that were on the Celebrity Apex with an overnight on their sailing in Copenhagen. So we're able to meet up with them. They're from Florida um, and have dinner kind of in Copenhagen. So there was a lot to do. And if you can go out of Copenhagen, I, I would definitely highly recommend it. Awesome. And for, for Copenhagen, like, is it a big city as far as like where the cruise port is and where you stayed? Like, did you stay close to the cruise pier? Uh, we did not. We stayed in the city center. Um, so it was about a 15 minute cab ride to the cruise pier. You could have easily metroed, um, but just with luggage, we chose to cab. Um, the cruise pier is a little bit on the outskirts and in, in a more it's kind of suburban setting. And so I would recommend staying more in the city center and then kind of just commuting out on uh, the day you leave. How was your embarkation for Voyager once you arrived to the cruise pier? Embarkation was a breeze um, and actually much easier than the U.S. ports. So it was uh, interesting to see. They have a kind of small building um, that you walk up to, drop your bags. Um, then we walked inside and because we were staying in a suite, we were able to use kind of the suite line and checked in via iPad. And then we actually walked on the ship on deck one via the gangway. So as you would at another a port stop. So they don't necessarily have you going up and through, you know, decks four or five. We went right on deck one. There was some confusion with U.S. vaccinations, I would note, from the Danish staff members working, but we were able to kind of work through that. I think just with Denmark's having different vaccinations, kind of the translation of one dose and booster was a little bit tough to translate. But other than that, it was super easy. Um, and actually, the Norwegian getaway was right next to us as well. Nice. And um, we watched people getting on there very quickly. So I think for all the lines, they were pretty efficient. Now, is it an actual like a, a physical terminal or is it more of like a warehouse converted into a terminal? I would say it's more of a warehouse converted into a terminal. Uh, so there, yeah, it wasn't really designed for the cruise ships, but yeah. um, they've converted it pretty permanently. Cool. Very good. So you make your way on Voyager of the Seas. What were your first impressions? So my first impression was that the ship was beautiful inside um, and had just cle clearly been recently renovated. And I believe it was in 2019, right before the pandemic. So the ship was in pristine shape, um, you know, just fresh carpet, fresh paint, really just had a, a new energy um, amongst it. We, we sailed on adventure out of Nassau last July um, with one of the first ships out for Royal and felt very different on Voyager. You could just tell that it had had some recent love and attention. One thing that I'll note, though, is it was clearly renovated for the Asian market. And so you'll notice um, some small subtleties that are different in signage and design. The casino had a ton of Asian design slot machines. There were a ton of tables, a high rollers room. The ship also had more shopping on board, which I think is more popular for the Asian routes and less bars and restaurants. So I'll actually be intrigued as Voyager transitions to Port Canaveral next year because 
it is missing some of the, you know, the quick service food like fish and chips or playmakers, Johnny Rockets that wasn't necessarily on the ship. And so I think they'll likely need to do some um, updates when they bring it over to Florida. So with the Asian flair with on the ship, uh, so was this ship, and I'm not really familiar with Voyager and the itineraries, was it actually sailing Asia before the shutdown, or was it actually going there during the startup after this uh, Baltic season? I believe it was actually Asia and Australia prior okay. to the pandemic shutdown, um, because when you look at some of the YouTube videos out there, most of them are, are filmed down there in 2019, So, and then they've kind of shifted as that area has been a little bit slower to open sure. um, into the European and American markets. Gotcha. So you make your way to your stateroom. You had the owner's suite on board Voyager. How was your experience up there uh, for the 10 days? Sure. And and I'll, I'll note, Doug, that um, the ship felt a little bit vacant. The occupancy was only about 900 people on board nice. for capacity of over 4,000. And so I think that's what really ended up um, us being able to royal up pretty affordably to get to the owner suite. We actually only had a balcony room booked of it originally. I figured it was a good shot seeing that it was predicted to be pretty low. This was the first, our first time in a suite this large and it was massive. Um, for a 10 day sailing, it was really convenient to have all the storage and space, but it was a much bigger room than we're used to. Uh, the room had kind of a bar dining area when you first walked in a large sectional couch, king-size bed, wardrobe, double sinks, jetted tub, and even a bidet. So probably more than we needed. Um, but we found that the benefits of the suite were perfect for us. Um, we didn't we didn't purchase the drink package since we'd be out and about a lot on the sailing, but between our free diamond drinks and the sweet happy hour every day, um, it really suited our needs for some cocktails in the evening. What kind of perks came with the owner's suite against just the perks that would typically come with a balcony suite, if any? Sure. So you definitely get reserved seating at the pool area, um, which for a Caribbean or summer route would be perfect. Um, you get reserved seating at all the shows and entertainment. Also, the full Lavaza coffee machine and coffee bar in your room. Um, you have sweet access for embarkation and debarkation. So that's really helpful, too. Um, and as well as a concierge. And I will say for more crowded sailings, that concierge is really helpful. They will pretty much do whatever you want um, and, and they'll make reservations and get you into spaces maybe you couldn't have gotten in before. So it just kind of gives that more personal experience and allows you to get some of the specific needs you might want but can't really get if um, other things are already booked up. Now, the con there's the concierge desk, and then does did you actually have a butler as well? Uh, you have just your room steward and okay. then the concierge desk upstairs. So there isn't a specific butler for these suites. Okay, gotcha. Well, let's talk about the dining on this 10-night cruise. And we'll start at the top, as we always do, in the Windjammer Buffet. How was your experience up there? The Windjammer was really good. Um, I would say this was our eighth cruise since the pandemic restart. And I think we, we usually cruise with Royal. And I think that this ship had it done the best since the restart. Um, they really had a full array of options and everything felt fresh and, and ready for us to eat. Um, we were able to serve ourselves, um, which is actually fine with us. I know people have different opinions about that, but the food was pretty good and the variety was good. And they also had like a ton of different paellas and, and large chef specials every day. Um, so we ate there a couple times for lunch, never for dinner, but um, it was fine. And I think with the lower occupancy, um, it was not as crowded as you might see on some other ships. Did the lower occupancy impact the operational hours or like what part of it was open? They only had about two thirds of the full space open, but it did not affect hours at all. No. Okay. Gotcha. 
is there much different in the food selections being over in the Baltic against like you were sailing on adventure last year or, you know, one of your cruises out of the U.S.? So the, the place I'll make the largest note was the main dining room. Um, there was definitely much more diversity of the, the dining options on the menu there. Um, and so you had more Indian. There were some Irish dishes, some English dishes. So I think in the, the main dining room, it wasn't your traditional American, you know, uh, pasta and steak and seafood. Maybe they had different dishes from different cultures. And so that was fun for us to kind of try some of those. The Windjammer was more similar to what I've seen in the U.S. markets, though. Okay. And let's talk about the main dining room. What time dining did you have, and how was your experience in there through the week? I know some cruise lines are experiencing staffing issues, but it sounds like with 900 guests on board, that might not have been an issue. It was not an issue. Uh, we had a great experience. We ate in there about half the, the week at dinner, um, and they were able to seat us immediately. We had my time dining. Um, so we were able to kind of sit wherever we want. One of the things I will note, though, the first night we were there, we had asked for a window view, as many people do. Um, but even with the low occupancy, it was interesting. They were seating everyone kind of by the windows. Mm -hmm. And so those tables are all full and no one really in the center. And we actually, out of our own comfort level, with not wanting to just be sitting on top of someone, said, hey, we'll just go sit in the middle and have a little bit more space. Yeah. Um, so we actually think we got better service and space just kind of distancing ourselves because everybody else was kind of concentrated in those more popular areas. Yeah, that's a that's a good suggestion too. So you said you had half of your dining in the main dining room. So the other half was specialty dining. What specialty restaurants did you do on the sailing? We did Giovanni's twice, Chops once, and Azumi twice, um, which was the main three options on Voyager. Um, all very good, pretty standard with what you'll see in the Voyager class. Uh, we loved Azumi on this ship. Um, I find it interesting when it's kind of in some different spots. Um, and on this ship, it's actually up on deck 14, uh, where the suite lounge is on some other Voyager uh, and Freedom class ships. So we loved eating up there right around in the evening time to watch the sun and the ocean and the food was incredible. So we had a ton of great sushi and Asian there. Giovanni's is a staple. It's uh, located down on deck four on the ship by the schooner bar and, and really enjoyed the service in there. Um, I think as well with, you know, not being as crowded, we really had kind of that more traditional personal cruise ship experience where they were able to do some different special things for us and just giving us that extra special attention, um, which we really enjoyed and highly recommended it to others. How much money do you save? Uh, you mentioned you bought a five-night dining package against doing it a la carte. Significantly. I mean, I think on average, a la carte is 40 to 50 a night at some of the restaurants. So for five nights, let's say 250 I mean, I think our specialty dining was maybe $110 for the full five nights. Wow. Okay. So definitely worth it. And I would recommend people to do it in advance on the uh, cruise planner ahead of time, especially when they run their sales. Yeah. How about places to eat outside of the specialty restaurants, the main dining room and buffet, pizza, any cafes or anything around the ship? So that's that would be my one feedback for this ship. Pizza was good. We had pizza a few nights at the end of the night. But beyond pizza or Cafe Promenade, there weren't really other quick service options. Um, so I think that is something that this ship is missing. Um, there weren't really poolside treats. They do have a, a cupcake cup board where you could get some desserts, which was good. But in terms of actual meals, not as many options on this, this ship. What were the cupcakes, like three or four bucks a la carte? Uh, yes, they were not that bad at all. Okay, cool. Which was good. What did you think of the entertainment for this 10-night cruise? The entertainment was good. Uh, we had a good experience. You know, with the European sailings, um, you're often out and about so much that you don't need it as much as maybe you do on some of the other routes. Uh, but we, we did take advantage of what we had 
Um, we love to ice skate. So we did the free ice skate kind of during the sea days um, and actually met a lot of the ice cast and they were really great to kind of interact with. And the ice show was spectacular. Um, we really enjoyed that. We also did a wine tasting on one of the sea days, which was really good and had two reds and two whites. And I think that was maybe $15. So it was pretty affordable, but you know, you just get a little bit that you can learn about the wine and taste it and kind of enjoy some conversing with others. Some of the evening entertainment could have used a little bit more energy, but I think it was partially because of, you know, how many people are on board. Um, but the promenade parties were back and up in action. And so those are always really fun. The one thing I think would have added to the experience is to have a little bit more entertainment focused on the region we were in. Um, some of it was your traditional standard cruise, you know, entertainment like the 70s party or trivia. But I think there could have been some more creativity given we were in such an unique part of the world. Was it mostly North American guests? It was mostly... North American, um, there were some individual, there was a good amount of English people there from, you know, Great Britain. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would say it was mostly North American. Gotcha. And how were the sea days as far as crowds? Well, I guess I shouldn't even ask you about crowds and congestion being a quarter of the way full, but you know what, since I did, I'm going to anyway. (laughs) No problem. Yeah. So, uh, crowds and congestions, not as much. Um, and we only had two sea days in the 10 days. So, Uh, We were in port a lot during this sailing, but the weather was nice and we were able to kind of be out and about on the pool deck. And, you know, it's interesting being from Florida. We were we were a little chilly, but some of our uh, new friends from Canada and other parts were enjoying their 70 degree (laughs) temperature out there. So they they use the pool a little bit more than we did. But um, the sea days were good. Yeah. It's always funny, like when you go to like New England or whatever and you see everyone who live there, the locals off the vineyard or Cape Cod or whatever in there swimming and having a good time. And us Floridians, or at least myself, I stick my toe in there. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not getting in there. Absolutely not. <laughs> yep. That we were, would have been exactly yep. like you if you were on board. <laughs> <laughs> How about the casinos as far as the smoke situation in and around? So absolutely no smoke in and around it. Um, but there were also no people. <laughs> so I think we walked through there a few times and maybe a handful of people, but, um, we actually talked to some of the people that worked in the casino and they were pretty bored. I will say though, because it was recently renovated, it didn't even have like the smoke in the carpet smell that I think sometimes happens, even if no one's smoking. So it being a fresh ship, um, if you are not a smoker or don't want to smell it, I would, I would recommend Voyager. Okay. This is a pretty port intensive itinerary, like six ports of call. So what we'll do here, Jeremy, is what you'll do is uh, give us the port, give us the highlight, and you can move right on to the next one. Okay, no problem. So our first port was Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, The highlight of that ship would definitely be the Vasa Museum. It was an old Viking ship that sank in the 1600s that they have floated up and in the 1960s. And it's uh, most of it was actually intact in the bottom of the Stockholm Harbor. Um, So they have a huge museum that they built around this massive warship. um, And it is the Bell of Stockholm and would highly recommend anyone checking that out if you get to go. Our second stop, Tallinn, Estonia, um, was actually the kind of sleeper port stop for me. And I think that the highlight overall was the old world medieval charm. Uh, Tallinn has not been really hit by a lot of wars. So Everything's original. And we did a three hour bike tour throughout the city and just saw so many cool sites. So that was great. After Tallinn, we went to Riga, Latvia, um, which was actually originally supposed to be St. Petersburg, as you kind of mentioned earlier, um, and turned into an overnight in Riga. 
Uh, we did a tasting there through Royal Caribbean, um, and we're able to kind of try a bunch of different foods. They have a large market, one of the largest markets in Europe. So the highlight was kind of tasting some of their food. And we actually tried Riga Black Balsam, which is the local liqueur. Um, and that was really cool to try. And of course, we might have bought a few bottles to take back with us. Jeremy, I want to jump here and ask about the St. Petersburg itinerary. Did they cancel it, then come back and say, hey, we're canceling this and swapping it with another port? You can get your money back? Or do they kind of just pivot and say, here's an itinerary change for you? In about March of 2022, they announced the cancellation of St. Petersburg and replacing it with the overnight in Latvia Mm -hmm. and Berlin. And at that point, you had the opportunity to get a full refund or continue along with the sailing. Um, And and talking with our travel agent, um, she shared for her bookings, she was about 50-50 of those who kept going and those who want to wait until they can make it to St. Petersburg. Gotcha. Your next port of call was Berlin? We actually went to Visby, Sweden first, um, which is on the island of Gotland, which sits in the middle of the Baltic. Visby was an amazing place. It reminded me of kind of Martha's Vineyard and just a beautiful island, super relaxing. And the highlight that I would share with that is we did a 16-mile bike ride um, excursion. So we were able to really bike around the island and kind of work off some of those calories from the the food and drinks on the ship. Mm -hmm. So we just enjoyed seeing all the beautiful sights and being able to really see a lot of square footage of the island that you might not be able to see if you were walking. And after that, we went to Berlin, um, which was nice, but Berlin is three hours from the port, similar to Rome, if you've been on the med cruise, and the long bus ride in and back to the, the ship. So we did do a hop on, hop off bus tour, and we're able to see kind of the highlights of Berlin, um, as well as a canal tour um, to see many of the governmental buildings, including the Reichstag. So I think it's one of those you have to do it if you haven't been to Berlin, but it's a long 12 and a half hour excursion. So make sure you get your caffeine before you get on the bus. And then our last stop was Aarhus, Denmark, uh, which was uh, the last day of the cruise. We chose to go to the uh, Museum of Art there, which was really interesting and had a um, large architectural marvel at the top it was a rainbow glass walkway that you can kind of walk through around the museum and you can actually see the whole city of Aarhus. So we really enjoyed that and looking at the art. Um, and it was a shorter day for us because we were going to be getting off the ship and unfortunately needed to go back on board and pack after the, the amazing 10 days. So you make your way back to Copenhagen. How was the debark process? So debark was super easy. Uh, we were able to just kind of walk off. We like to walk off with our luggage. So um, it was pretty simple. The one pain point I'll note um, that I, I wish I would have thought of in advance was the taxi situation. Um, there was about an hour wait for a taxi. And unfortunately, in, in Copenhagen, Uber and Lyft do not work. So that is not an option. Um, so we got a little stuck there, but we were able to take the shuttle to the metro stop. Royal Caribbean had a free shuttle to the maybe five minutes to the metro stop nearby. Um, and we actually just navigated the metro to the airport from there. And we left um, that same day. And the metro in Copenhagen is probably the best I've ever been on in the world. Um, It just was easy, simple, clean, and affordable. So it ended up working out, but the the taxi situation was a little bit complex. Looking back at this 10-night trip, do you have any first-time tips to offer anyone who wants to maybe sail the Baltic or sail Voyager once she gets back here to the U.S.? Yeah, my first tip would just be that if you're flying to Europe for a cruise, uh, be careful with your luggage. (laughs) There were quite a few passengers that their luggage did not make it on board the ship because of some of the current travel situations abroad. So that was a little bit tough to be on there 10 days. So think about what you have in a carry-on versus your check bag because that can be a long time without your essentials. 
And then the second thing I'll just say, we did a lot of research beforehand, and I think that really enriches your experience. Uh, we love Rick Steves and, and checking out some of his shows and podcasts. And I think that can really make um, your experience just a little bit richer because there's so much history and culture in Europe just being so old that um, you don't want to miss out on any of that. So highly recommend to kind of do some of your research beforehand. Yeah, back to Rick Steves. I was in Rome right before the shutdown, and I've been there a bunch of times, but I had I actually bought the Rick Steves guide at like Books a Million or whatever, and that was my Bible in Rome because the guy is just so spot on when he's trying to give you one of his tours, and he'll be like, you'll see a building with a sign on the corner that says, welcome, turn left to that building, and it's like, this is pretty cool. Even if my internet didn't work on my phone or if I had no data, I could have perfectly navigated my way around the city just on his guidebook alone. Oh, totally. And he's so specific and it almost feels like he's standing right behind you. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah. it really is a, a great way to travel. For sure. Looking back on this cruise, what was the biggest highlight for y'all? There were two things I'll note. One is that um, we really met some great friends. And so one of the highlights was after visiting all of these unique ports, like being able to come back on the ship and just talk and, and learn from kind of their experiences was just really exciting and, and even getting some notes on, well, maybe next time we go back, we might do this because I really fell in love with Copenhagen and Tallinn, Estonia. So they're, they're definitely on my return list. And the one other thing I'll say is we've done Alaska before and we actually thought that the Baltic route in the summer had more sunlight than the Alaskan route. And so there were a couple nights on board where the sun would set at maybe midnight but it would still stay dusk right through the whole night. And the sun came up about 3.30, 4 o'clock. So the amount of daylight on this sailing was just incredible um, and, and kind of made it hard to go to bed, which I guess is a good thing or a bad thing, depending right. on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah. Well, in closing here, your final thoughts of Voyager of the Seas. I think it's great and fresh. I'm just coming out of dry dock pre-pandemic. And I'm excited. We have it booked next year twice out of Port Canaveral, being our home port. So um, would definitely recommend it. And I think and just encourage everyone out there to look at a sailing or route that maybe you've never done before, because um, there's a lot to explore and cruising is a great way to do it. And also looking back, I'm just curious because you had the owner's suite on this. And there's only, I think, just one suite above that. Would you suggest that or would you do it again if the price was right? If the price was right, I would definitely do it again. Um, just being my husband and I, though, it was a lot of space that I think others might need a little bit more depending on you know how many people or families. So um, I think it was uh, nice to have but not need to have. Um, but I think the perks of being even in a, a grand suite, which is a little bit smaller, the suite perks is a definite definite thing to recommend um, for anyone. All right. I love it. Been talking with Jeremy about his 10-night cruise on Royal Caribbean's Voyager of the Seas over in the Baltic. Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing this review and welcome back, my friend. Thank you so much. Great to be here. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. 
Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.